You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Don't forget to go to Twillery.com. That's Twillery.com. Use a Locked On promo code and you get $25 off of your purchase. Free shipping, free returns, great shirts. You don't even have to iron them soft. They're awesome. Check it out. Twillery.com. Twillery.com. And go to LandryFootball.com. That's LandryFootball.com. And you'll learn more about football. We take a look back. Uh, Chris will be back with us this week, and we take a look back at a couple of interviews we want to share with you at SEC Media Days. Let us begin with Gene Chiswick, the former Auburn head coach turned analyst. He's right here on your Locked on SEC Football Podcast. Gene, it's officially time. It's football season again. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Football in July, man. Can't beat it right now, right? (laughs) No, no, it's awesome. Yeah, it's almost here, and... I think fans have been waiting a long time to get this thing kicked off, so it's going to be fun. You still get the juices flowing, even though you're not in the coaching business. I do, I do. I, re- you know, it's it's funny. You do this for 30 years, and there's a smell outside when the grass is cut. There's just this feeling, and you just know it's coming. Your body's almost, your body almost just kind of feels it, and and. and you know, this time of the year, usually for me, I'm adjusting to get ready for four hours of sleep a night. You know what I mean? And, no. and so you just, you know, you, you get excited and the adrenaline flows, and it still happens for me. Is there at least a couple of minutes this time of year, every year, where you think, I might want to coach again? You know, I'll never say never. Um, you know, I, I get, I get, it's safe to say I get a lot of, or several opportunities. Um, I love what I'm doing right now. It's, uh, it's, it's a great balance. You know, when you go into the college coaching world, there's not a lot of balance. You can fight it all you want, but there's not a lot of balance. This gives me a balance. It gives me some football. It gives me some family time. Um, but, you know, a, a, like I said, I'll, I'll never say never to coaching again. It, it looks like, at least I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that LSU seems to be the primary contender to knock off Alabama this year. Am I missing somebody in the West? What do you think? No, I think that that's, that's fair. Uh, you know, given the success LSU had last year, I think Ed O's done a great job. I really do. I love the way he's evaluated talent. I love, love the way he's kind of built up the bigs, meaning the big people on both sides of the line of scrimmage. He's got athletes everywhere on the perimeter, both in the secondary and at wide out, tailbacks. We bring in John Emery and a couple of guys in. Um, I, I think that uh, the fact that Joe Burrow became – what they hope Joe Burrow would be has been a phenomenal factor for them. It's the best outlook they've had in a lot of years. And if anybody's going to, if there was ever a year where LSU could stand toe-to-toe with Alabama and potentially knock them off, I would think this would be the year. It's weird because I was interviewing Joe Burrow yesterday, and he's kind of like a slightly quieter extension of Ed Orgeron. You know, he's got that intensity, and we've seen that he's tough on the field too. How awesome is it when you've got a quarterback that's tough, resilient, and a natural leader? There's nothing There's nothing more comforting to a coach to know that your quarterback in that locker room owns the locker room. Joe Burrow, he, he absolutely solidified the locker room early last year. I think in the Georgia game last year. You go back and you really look at how he played early in the game. He made some unbelievable throws. This guy won the locker room. And there's nothing more comforting to a coach for your players to think, man, these guys, when Joe Burrow gets up in the UCF in the bowl game and he's got blood everywhere and his mouth's bloody and that dude goes back in, 
that wins the locker room. That wins the defensive guys. That wins the offensive guys. Not that he hadn't done it earlier, uh, but there's nothing more comforting for a coach to be able to have that in your in your locker room running your team. In your career, what quarterback best owned the locker room? You know, that's a, that's a tough question for me because I was on the teams of five first-rounders. Well, five. Hard. <laughs> five. Starting with Dante Culpepper way back when. Then you got Vince Young. You got Mitch Trubisky we had at North Carolina, the second pick of the draft. You got Jason Campbell at Auburn. You got Cam Newton at Auburn. They're all first round picks. One thing that they all had in common, they were all tough, and every one of them absolutely commanded that team. Every single one of them. All in their different way. They weren't all the same, but the result was the same, and that was probably what made them who they were. How often do you talk to Cam Newton? Uh, I don't talk to him a lot. You know, we'll uh, text back and forth some. But, um, you know, I watch him from afar, though. Are you concerned at all with his the physical nature of his play, that his career could be shortened by the way he plays? You know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't get a chance to watch a lot of NFL football. Cam's going to play the way he plays. He's the most, one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around. And the bottom line is, is if he has to run for a first down and put his head down, he's going to do it. If he's got to run for that touchdown and put his head down, he's going to do it. He's just, you know, he's physically just a different animal. You know, the guy's six foot five and he's 255 pounds and he's the best looking defensive end on anybody's roster. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so he's going to play the way, you, you're never going to temper the way he plays, but you know, I think he tries to be smart. He tries to get down when he can. I know he doesn't want to take the big hits, uh, but his competitive nature sometimes takes over and you know, he just, uh, he's going to take some of those hits. This is a borderline silly question, but, but honestly, could you have put him at defensive end, hand down or not, outside linebacker? Could he have gotten to the quarterback yes 100 percent. are you kidding me no without question you train him correctly and he (laughs) absolutely could have put his hand down and been a blur off the corner he's strong he's physical he's fast he's athletic he can change directions absolutely when it comes to raw athleticism where does he rank the guys you coach uh one (laughs) who's two i don't know i'm not sure there's a close two i mean as sheer athleticism for that size He's, in, he's incredible. In terms of uh, the RPO and what we're seeing now, it seems like over the, the course, at least my lifetime, that schemes have been cyclical. Is this a cyclical thing, or do you think it's, it's here to stay long term? You know, I think it's here for a while. I think defenses will eventually catch up with what to do with it. Um, it puts some strains on the defense. There's no question about it. Uh, this is something that, you know, I think – probably started at the high school level and and trickled its way up Um, but it's here to stay and it's growing and you can see that in different leagues across the country and when defensive guys start that are defensive head coaches start implementing this on offense you know it causes problems because that's why they're doing it right they're trying to scratch their head trying to figure out what can we do to stop this man I need to start doing some of this and you're starting to see some teams like LSU is a great example, right? We're going to start putting in and implementing some of the RPO game. One of the things Nick Saban's done the best of is he's kind of changed with the times. Last year, Mike Loxley, really, really heavy RPOs. Uh, may not see as many of them this year with Sark, but I think these defensive-minded coaches, them going to the RPOs is a great example of why they think it's difficult to defend. Last thing I got for you, how would you describe as a coach going in 
to a season with confidence, knowing you have the backing of the fan base as opposed to going into a season where your air quotes kind of on the hot seat a little bit. How is the mindset different, if at all? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think what people have to realize is that coaches got to that seat because they were laser-focused on their job, whatever that job was, whether they were an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whatever. They got to that seat because they were able to block out noise and do their job. People don't understand. Coaches don't go into the office every day thinking, man, I I really got to come up with this great offensive plan because I'm going to get fired. It's not how they think. They think that every day they got to be laser focused on the little things, the details to get the job done. And if at the end it's not good enough and they make a change, they make a change. That's That's the life that coaches chose. So... Coaches don't go into the office every day worrying about whether they're going to get fired or not fired, hot seat or not hot seat, whatever the media and how everybody wants to spin it. That's not how coaches look at this. That is Gene Chizik. Coming up, it'll be Paul Feinbaum. We'll visit with him. Looking forward to that. Stay tuned. More after this. Also, Ed Orgeron, the big old, joins us next. Locked on SEC football podcast. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Time for Ed Orgeron, LSU's head coach, picked second in the SEC West. Many think that this may be the year that he could topple Alabama. Here is Ed Orgeron, your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Ed rolled around here, and uh, you guys are coming off a fantastic season. I'm sure you're excited to get rolling. I think you play football 365 if you could. <laughs> no question. You know our guys have worked very hard. We've got tremendous leaders. We've got three great guys here with Joe Burrow leading the way. Uh, but you know what? We've got to block out the noise. You know, Last year, there was a lot of negativity about our program. We ended up winning 10 games. Now everybody's talking well. We've got to block it out again. And we've got to go back to the fundamentals. We've got to be hungry. We've got a tough schedule. We got to get better at a lot of things. A real tough schedule. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Talk about that and how important it is to get off to a good start. You know, we played Georgia Southern. We won 11 games, a triple option. We got to focus on them first, and then we go to Texas. So it's going to be a tough game, a national game. But that's why you come to LSU. LSU, the expectations are high. We played in the SEC, and we invited. As, as far as um, you as a coach, how have you evolved since yeah. going way back to Oxford? Yeah, you know, just more relaxed with my job. and I've got a great staff. I let them coach. I do the things that I can do well, motivate the team, organize the team, uh, recruit, uh, help coach the defensive line, and let those guys go. I think I have a tremendous staff. And, you know, you have confidence when you have good players and good coaches. We have good players and good coaches at LSU. So Lane Kiffin was on the show uh, last week, and he told me his 10-year-old son is going to commit to you. Do you think he can play? <laughs> I know. If he's anything like his dad, he's going to be good. No question. You, with, with you being more comfortable this year than last year, it was such a weird situation. How does it change just your overall stress level? I know you're a high-energy yeah, guy, but yeah. does it change you personally? Now, you know, when I see the team work and I see the coaches work, it gives you a confidence level, but you can't be too overconfident. You got to stay strong. Uh, you got to stay tough. It's a tough schedule we have. Uh, I believe in this football team. I believe this is going to be a good football team. But you know what? The higher you get, the higher expectations you have. So we got to answer the bell. Joe Burrow, toughness, leadership. How nice is it to have that at the quarterback position? That's what you want. You know, I played with Bobby Hebert, man. Bobby was like that. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we believed in Bobby. No. 
Now, Joe don't talk as much as Bobby. But other than that, man, we knew a bear was going to make the play. Now, back then we huddled, and he'd get in the huddle, and he could chew out an offensive lineman. He could he could do, the, do anything that he wanted to to motivate the football team because we knew he was a hard worker to make the play. Joe's the same way. You know, when he took that hit in the Fiesta Bowl and led, led us to a touchdown and led us to a big victory, that won the team over. What's made Grant Delpit different than other defensive backs you've coached? His awareness level. That play he played, that play he made against Georgia when he was rushing the kick was a phenomenal play. And, you know, the more we rush him, he can rush, uh, he can cover, he can do everything you need to do. He's physical, he's fast, he can play the post. He has all those skills to be a great, you know, safety. I, I coach Troy Palomar. He has all those skills, and he's taller. You know, um, Alabama's the team in the West everybody's chasing right yeah, now. Right. They got handled in the national championship game. Yeah. Does that send a message to your guys that, hey, they're beatable. They're yeah. not yeah. Superman. No question. But, you know, we got to do it. You know, the other teams do it. Uh, and we did study the Clemson game, but, you know, we got to go out there and do it. And I do believe we're going to have a very good football team. It's going to be a challenge, and we're going to be up to that challenge. Is there a mental hang-up when you face Alabama, not with you but with some players? Yeah, I don't know that. I hope it's not. I hope they, they, they take it one game at a time. I hope that's not. That was Ed Orgeron. And coming up next, it'll be Paul Feinbaum of the SEC Network. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. Stay tuned. More after this. You are locked on SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get right to it. This guy knows how to talk some football. Paul Feinbaum joins us now, always entertaining. Paul Feinbaum, you're locked on SEC Football Podcast. Uh, Paul, it's become very apparent to me that Jeremy Pruitt has replaced Steve Spurrier as the uh, top talker at SEC Media Days. Would you agree with that? I was was talking to Jeremy yesterday, and while we were together, I got a call from my good friend Jimmy Kimmel, and he wants him to uh, pinch hit for him (laughs) next week while he's on vacation. He's not very exciting, is he? No, but yeah, I wonder uh, how much of uh, that is uh, by design. And I mean, I remember, I'll tell the story gingerly, that when he was in his, not, not his second go around, but his first go around at Alabama, I mean, he was kind of a wild man. And uh, yeah, I've been, I've been out with him once or twice late at night. Uh, I think one, especially one time, especially in New Orleans, and I mean, he's a character, but I don't know something. Once he once he put that orange tie on, it seemed like he he checked uh, he checked some of that personality at the door. You can't really do that, I guess, as a head coach, especially in the South, because you're going to get recognized. Yeah, I, I think most of this is a direct response to Butch Jones. That you know, if he showed up at the first press conference and started overwhelming people with cliches. I think he he was going to get turned off pretty quickly. So he came in there and said virtually nothing. And I'm a football coach. And uh, I grew up in North Alabama. And go Vols. I mean, I mean, <laughs> that was it. I mean, I, but that, yeah, I mean, I was with him in Destin a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, he was he was loose, sir. Uh, this week, he he started off with kind of a joke. Uh, he told me that, uh, he said, man, I'm mad at you. I'm like, uh, he said, uh, I saw my mom recently and she told me you said I was the worst dressed coach in the SEC. By the way, which I never did. I mean, I, Wait, you've been misquoted? Uh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, I, th- I think he, she probably said something to him. And I, I want to say, and he said, he said, I spent 30 minutes with my wife getting this, picking this outfit. I'm like going, 
you spent 30 minutes picking that outfit out? <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> but, uh, I think he's trying to, but, but he also knows that with a 5-7 and seven record, you don't want the coach to be too funny. Clemson a better football program than Alabama? I think in terms of uh, maybe the program right now it is, uh, primarily because of the coaching staff. Uh, I think I read something yesterday that that over a five-year period, uh, Alabama's had 22 coaching changes. Clemson has had two. And, and, and the, the reason I bring that up is that it's a very stable program. Uh, Alabama is, is a football factory, and uh, it's like, it's like an NFL club, and, and that, that cost them last year. I think it, it's cost them a couple of times. Uh, in you know, the national championship two years ago, uh, Lane Kiffin had just been fired, so there was a coaching turmoil then. Uh, you know, the, the, the funniest thing about Alabama, and, and I, I know Clemson fans don't want to hear this, but if, if John Curry had gotten the coaching search correct, like not striking out after six or seven tries, Alabama very well may have won the national championship last year, and you're saying, well, how does that, what's that got to do with anything? Jeremy Pruitt would still been on the staff. Pretty good point. And that was their problem. Uh, when, without Pruitt, their defense started to, to unwind a little bit. Uh, they, 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 uh, Saban made what, an absolutely disastrous pick. He went for a recruiter as opposed to a, a coach. And yeah, you can say, well, 28 points, but I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into uh, what happened to Alabama at the end of the season. And, and Pruitt handled uh, the transition well. Uh, he, he, took, he had the Tennessee job, but he stayed and kept focus. Uh, Kirby Smart had done the same thing a couple years earlier. And uh, yeah, last year, Alabama didn't. But you know, uh, in the end, uh, I think these programs are, are trading licks back and forth. Uh, and I think we'll probably do it again. I believe firmly from talking to people close to Nick Saban that he would rather score on a 10-12 play drive than a two-play drive. Yeah. And But I was talking to Lane Kiffin about that last week, and he said, no, that's not the case. You, you'll take a score but any way you can get a score. I just think he wants to punish you now. I think that's the mindset. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, listen, Saban's overall philosophy has never changed. It's, it's very simple. We are going to uh, will you into submission. It's old school football. Uh, we're going we're to beat you down, and in the fourth quarter, we're going to run you over. Uh, the great Tennessee teams weren't a lot different. The great Alabama teams were always that way. And yeah, he's adjusted back and forth uh, to various things. But again, the, the, the program is at such a high level. I, I sat there yesterday and watched him. I mean, listening to him talk. Yeah, we're going to do this different. We're gonna, I mean, they were 14 and one last year, yeah. uh, and that really is considered a terrible season at Alabama. That that's the standard now that he that he has set. No one else. I saw an excerpt from your show, and I want to make sure it, I paraphrase this correctly. That basically he said maybe the coaching staff lost a little bit of focus. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah. He, so he had said uh, from the podium that we had a lot of distractions. So on the set when when he came up. I asked him, I said, so uh, can, you, can you expound on, the, uh, on what you meant? And he's railing on about, you know, we, we, you know, play, uh, you know we, uh, we, were, we were not focused and we were doing, do, and I, I like, I wasn't sure what he meant because he's been known to throw his players under the bus. I said, I said, all I said was coaches or players? He said, coaches. 
And what he meant by that, several coaches uh, left the staff, uh, quite a few. And uh, he, <laughs> in the new narrative uh, on July 17th, uh, after the game ended on January 7th, is trying to paint the, the picture that that's why they lost. What is your all-time favorite moment at SEC Media Days? Probably uh, the year that we all gathered around the speaker and listened to Philip Fulmer from Knoxville. I mean, I I have never seen anything so surreal, so bizarre that the head football coach at Tennessee could not. I mean, it wasn't like he was flying into uh, some uh, you know, war-torn. Middle Eastern battlefield. Uh, he was flying into Hoover, Alabama. Uh, nothing will top that one. Uh, I wonder if he could ever make it back here again someday because I think he's very aware he's just about 24 games shy of General Neyland's record. That's black helicopter, I know. Um, I was having breakfast with a couple of guys today and, and we were joking, of course. And one of them said, I, I think Philip Fulmer still has a couple of wins left in him. <laughs> I, honestly, I know it's black helicopter. It's conspiracy. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Well, I, I, listen, I, I I, mean, the record's a record. I mean, I, I think a lot of us felt like he should go. And I think we were wrong. Uh, you know, he was on a, a bad spiral. Um, he was up against Urban Meyer. And Nick Saban, and it didn't look like he, he could do it. But I, I think if you go back and hit pause, there's a there's a realistic chance Philip Fulmer could have pulled the program back up. He was a good enough coach. He still had command. Um, yeah, it, that's, that's speculation, of course. But I, I'll say one thing. The two of us could have done a better job than the, than the next three coaches combined. That's Paul Feinbaum, and that's your Locked on SEC Football podcast. We'll be back to the regular format tomorrow. We'll break down players and coaches from around the SEC. Have a fantastic day, everyone. For Chris Landry, I'm Dave Hooker. We'll talk to you tomorrow.